Let's pray. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we may see you, please, this morning. Open our ears, that we may hear your voice. Open our minds to understand what you are saying to us. Open our hearts so that we may obey. Amen. It is a blessing to have nice neighbours. Uh, we have a family next door who moved into our road about three years ago. And I'm certainly going to say now that they are friendly. Praise the Lord. Uh, we've we've uh, had them round for a meal. We've been to their place for a meal. And they are very kindly accepting parcels for us almost all the time uh, whenever we are out. I don't know what they say about us, though. <laughs> if, you, if you ask them, make sure we're not listening, okay? Um, but they certainly seem very nice. Now, contrast that to other neighbours we've got in our road who are a little loud at night time. They have these gatherings and perhaps are speaking too loudly and things like that. And also, people are just parking with no consideration whatsoever towards others. Well, do you get on with your neighbours? Well, this morning... Uh, we're actually going to work our way through the shortest book in the Old Testament. And we hear of God's people, and we hear of their relationship with their neighbours, their neighbours in the land of Edom, which is to the southeast of Judah. Now, these neighbours were never, never friendly. They cared nothing for the Lord God of Israel. They cared nothing for his people. Yet, if you know your Old Testament history, they were actually distant relatives. So if you know your Old Testament history, the people of Edom were descended from Esau. And who was Esau? Well, Esau was the twin brother of Jacob. Their father was Isaac. Their grandfather was Abraham. Abraham, to whom God had said, I will make you a, into a great nation. Yet right from the outset, in fact, before these twins were even born, and when these twins were still in the womb, God spoke of the conflict ahead. And you can read that in Genesis 25, when God says that the twins would go their separate way. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older, and that's Esau, would serve the younger. And so began many years, many generations of hostility, of deep-seated animosity from Esau's descendants, who were a constant thorn in Israel's side. Now, there, there are two significant events in the Bible when this conflict was seen clearest during the Exodus, after Israel escaped from slavery in Egypt, Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom, asking, please, could they travel safely through their land? But permission was refused. You what? In their time of need, these relatives did not help out their family. And then there's the second conflict which is recorded in Obadiah and that's a time in around about 586 BC when Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonians 
and Jerusalem was, was, was seriously attacked. The temple was destroyed. The people of God were taken into exile in Babylon. And what did Edom do? Well, it, it did nothing to help. Indeed, Edom rejoiced. They rejoiced at the distress being suffered by Israel. And they even picked up some of the survivors. And what did they do? Did they give them refuge? No. They handed them over to the attacking Babylonians. Now, just before we get into Obadiah, it's worth just me looking at uh, Psalm 137 and reading a couple of those verses. Because the heart, Psalm 137 is a lament of God's people in exile when they look back to how life used to be. So Psalm 137 verse 1, which is quite a famous verse, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered what things used to be like when we were back in Judah. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And then the significant verse of what I'm trying to get to is verse 7 where the lament says, Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. So this is the context into which God now speaks to his people through the prophet um, Obadiah about Edom or sometimes it's called Esau, as the nation is interchangeably called throughout this short book. Well, verse 1, verse 1 is a vision, and this is what the Sovereign Lord showed Obadiah about the future of the land of Edom. Now, we don't know anything about Obadiah himself, but... But his name is quite significant. His name means servant of the Lord, servant of the Lord. And this servant of the Lord, he has a vision, but it's not like some vivid dream, some nightmare perhaps or something. He has a word of God, a word of God to convey to the people of God about Edom. And this message is to say that God's enemies will be justly defeated and that's one of my two really main points for this morning actually God's enemies will be justly defeated this message from the Lord at the end of verse one is rise rise let us go against her for battle attention attention please battle stations God is going to destroy Edom. And what is God about to do? Verse 2, I will cut you down to size. I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. Well, for many centuries, Edom thought they were invincible. You see, they built cities high up on the rocks where they thought no one could possibly defeat them because of these uh, inaccessible cliffs. Now, I believe the city of Petra is where, uh, where they are, and if you know that city, you'll know that there is a small little, um, very thin little valley you have to get through to get to the city. 
It's very hard. It's, it's, it is impregnable, they, well, they think. So the people of Edom, they boasted, don't they, in verse 3. Who can bring me down to the ground? And to me, that sounds a bit like that uh, child who stands on top of a hill and says, I'm the king of the castle. I'm the king of the castle. It also reminds me a little bit of uh, the time when uh, we as a family got to the top of Snowdon. And when you're at the top, you do feel for that moment that you are the Lord of all you survey. But actually, you're not, are you? God is. Well, Edom, Edom were arrogant. They were proud. They considered they had no need for any God to help and guide them. And let alone the God who the people of Judah followed and worshipped. Us, us in Edom, we do not bend the knee to anyone. Yet what does God declare? What does he say in verse 4? Well, though you soar like the eagle because you're so far up, so far up and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. I will bring you down. In fact, it would have been better for you if you were robbed in the night, because surely those thieves would leave some belongings behind. Or perhaps better if grape pickers came, because surely they would leave some small grapes behind. But instead, the Lord will defeat you. A disaster awaits you. Indeed, you will be ransacked, according to verse 6. The implication there is that every nook and cranny will be searched and robbed, all your hidden treasures pillaged. Be afraid, Edom. Be very afraid when God is against you. Well, the prophecy continues, doesn't it, into verse 7. Even your friends will turn against you. Your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In other words, you'll fall right into that trap. Edom had boasted of the wisdom they had, but those wise men, they'll be destroyed. Those warriors, they'll be confused and helpless, absolutely terrified as they're cut down in the slaughter. This is a terrible and frightening picture of God's vengeance. But understand, this is justified, as God's enemies will be justly defeated. Well, the prophecy explains, doesn't it, in verse 10? Verse 10, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame you will be destroyed forever. Well, verses 11 through to 14 do describe that scene when uh, in around, as I said, 586 BC, when Jerusalem was ransacked by the Babylonians. And it's worth just looking through that again. Let me read it to you. Verse 11. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lot for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. 
You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the days of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. It's a horrible picture when, we talk, when, they, when you hear about Jerusalem, the way in which it's attacked. And what did Edom do? Gloated over it, didn't it? In fact, God says, you acted just like one of them. You almost stabbed Judah in the back by picking up these fugitives and giving them back to the rampaging Babylonians. And so... It is only fair and just, isn't it, that those who oppose God and his people, those who think they are in control, they will then discover they're not. God is in control. He always was and always will be, despite any appearances to the contrary. Well, like so much prophecy, these words from God are spoken. They're spoken to comfort his people. We presume this prophecy is written at a time when the people were in exile, and therefore perhaps they thought that God had abandoned them. And it would also have been very hard for these people in exile with the fact that it was Esau themselves who were part of that calamity as they stood by, as they joined in, as they, they picked up those survivors and gave them back. But the message this morning, God's enemies will be justly defeated in the end. God's enemies will be justly defeated in the end. So, who really is king of the castle? Look again at that book. The book, you've got it up there on the screen. I'm having it open in front of me here. Verses 2. What does God say he will do? I will make you small. Verse 4, I will bring you down. Verse 5, he talks about the disaster that awaits you. In verse 6, Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. Verse 8, will, not, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? In verse 9, he talks about them being cut down in their slaughter. 10, covered with shame destroyed forever and in verse um, 18 there's this there's the the prophecy of the house of Esau will be stubble there will be no survivors from the house of Esau but did you also notice this little book actually expands beyond a specific message to Eden Quite subtle, but it's there in verse 15. Verse 15, where the prophecy is, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. All nations. And then he says, as you have done it, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your head, just as you drank on my holy hill. So all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink as if it had never been. You see, all 
who do not acknowledge God, all who do not bow the knee to him, they're all enemies and one day will face God's justice. Quite a stark message, isn't it? But contrast, what a wonderful promise of deliverance for those who do acknowledge him. And indeed, this is my, my second main point. God's people will be gloriously restored. God's people will be gloriously restored. Verse 17, in fact, we could even say it together, couldn't we? Well, certainly the first few words. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. Didn't hear you say it. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. Why Mount Zion? Well, that's where Jerusalem was. And when Jesus came, where was Jesus? Where was Jesus on the cross? He was just outside Mount Zion on the hill, wasn't he? Golgotha. That's where deliverance took place. Deliverance would be for God's people at the time of this prophecy, would be when they get back to Jerusalem, when Jerusalem is restored. But the next level of that prophecy is when deliverance comes, when Jesus comes along. Well, the day of the Lord is near for Jerusalem, but the, we know that pe God's people will be gloriously restored on Mount Zion. There, there will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire, Joseph a flame, Esau will be stubble. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. And then there's pictures in the last few verses of this prophecy of exiles returning, people of God, will even occupy more than just Judah. They'll occupy areas around that as well. They're talking about occupying the mountains of Esau. They're talking about uh, the taking possession of the land of the Philistines. They'll occupy, occupy all over the place. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. One day, an eternity with God awaits for his people. That's a promise that we have. It's achieved by Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection, guaranteed as he ascends back into heaven to prepare rooms for his followers. The Bible speaks of a great banquet for Christians gathered around that throne who sing praises to the Lamb, to Christ Jesus. And with so much prophecy, there are, of course, different levels of fulfilment. As I said, for God's people in exile, they've got the promise, haven't they, of restoration back to Judah and to have Jerusalem rebuilt. That next level uh, is when Jesus is amongst his people and restoration is made by his sacrifice on the cross. And one day the final fulfilment will take place when Jesus returns and gathers his people to be with him forever. Well, Obadiah. Obadiah. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament, but it packs a punch, doesn't it? It really does pack a punch. We have a message in particular and specifically directed against Edom, 
but it's a message also to all nations, all those who might oppose God. To both, they need to know that our God reigns. The kingdom is his. This prophecy is one of hope that the future is secure. One day, God is going to restore his kingdom. Well, brothers and sisters, we do live today in uncertain times, don't we? Uh, it's not just due to this pandemic, which has changed the landscape of the whole world. We might feel that God has perhaps given up on those, uh, on, given up on, the, on his people, because those who don't care for him, they seem somehow to have won, they seem to be so successful, they seem to be on top of the castle. And they look down, don't they, on Christians. They look down on those who follow Jesus. And these people sort of gloat whenever the, the church seems to hit difficulties. They, they stick the knife in whenever they can. And of course, around the world, we have, a, we have many places where Christians are being persecuted, haven't we? They're persecuted in Nigeria, they're persecuted in parts of India. There's, there's many, many countries of this world where Christians really are under the, uh, under the thumb, under, the, you know, under persecution. But Obadiah teaches God's people, do not be afraid. Instead, those who oppose God, those who disregard God, those who care not for God's ways, then ultimately they will be cut down. They will be brought to their knees. They are the ones who really ought to be afraid. On Mount Zion will be deliverance. And that came when the Lord Jesus went to the cross and died to restore our relationship with God and ultimately will return and bring about a new restored kingdom. Well, Obadiah opened in verse 1 by lifting his eyes to what the sovereign lord said and he did so amidst a context of injustice against god's people and now obadiah closes with the promise of the lord's reign over his world the kingdom will be the lord's well are we are we afraid when the world appears against us are we afraid when everything seems to be falling in around us? Are we, are we jealous, perhaps, for some who seem to be so successful without any need for, or regard for God? Well, instead, let us trust God. Trust God for his justice. He will deal with his enemies. Ultimately, God's enemies will be justly defeated and one day, God's people will be gloriously restored. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please do forgive us if we think you don't care about us in our troubles. Forgive us if we doubt you because so many people care not for your ways and just gloat against us. Instead, Lord, help us to just trust your promises, to know with certainty that you will deal with your enemies with justice. And thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that great, wonderful promise of a glorious future 
Help us always to rest assured that we are safe in your hands and our future is secure. Amen.